in the prequel to the 26th episode, we're learning about YA novels and previewing the perks of being a wallflower. Welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. This is the prequel episode, which means we learn about a fun thing, and then we preview our next book slash movie. Our topic, this is a viewer's choice, listener's choice, for our next episode. Uh, and Perks of Being a Wallflower one. Yeah. Beat out Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist and... Just barely beat out Nick and Nora by like one vote. Yeah. And then what was the other one? Uh, the Fault in Fault Our, in our stars, stars, which got way fewer votes than I thought it I would. I thought that one would have been the most... I would have yeah. thought that one would have won, honestly, because I thought the, the book was fairly popular. I mean, I, they all were, but... Yeah. Um, so yes, uh, the perks of being a wallflower. We'll preview that in a little bit. But as to the theme of the three books, we're going to learn about a thing, and that thing is young adult novels. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Yeah. So it's kind of a broad topic today, but I really wanted to talk about it so we could kind of uh, orient ourselves within this genre and talk about what it is a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've sort of done an adjacent prequel learning things with the coming of age story. Yeah. We talked, we talked about uh, coming of age stories before stand by me. Yeah. But I wouldn't necessarily classify stand by me as a YA. No, I wouldn't classify it as a young adult. So yeah, it's, it's, they're kind of, it's kind of a subset. Um, uh, which one would you say is a subset of the other or is it? I would say coming of age is a subset of young adult. Although the one we talked about wasn't a young adult. So (laughs) there are some that coming of age stories that, um, that aren't young adult that are kind of separate, I guess. Well, yeah, and I'm, I'm calling young adult a genre. It's not really a genre in the same sense that, like, fantasy right. is a genre. It's a publishing genre. Yeah. The way that adult fiction or children's fiction are also publishing genres. Yeah. So you can have those kind of umbrella genres and then a lot of different things coming beneath them. Yeah. So, young adult, what is it? Well, young adult literature, it's a publishing genre, like I said, caters specifically to readers ages 12 to 18. That's maybe a little bit of a fuzzy classification, but I think that's how the publishing industry regards young adults. 12 to 18-ish. 12 to 18, and and I I would say it's probably 12 to 18 of them reading it, but the stories, because like, so, not to get too far off from there, but like, I think you could also classify, because I think a lot of young adult fiction can be read to a younger audience. Yes. If you know what I mean. Like, they're obviously not old enough to necessarily read it and parse it themselves, but reading it, being having it read to them, it still works, and it's not stuff that's like way above their pay grade. Right. As like a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or a ten-year-old. I mean, depending on the book. Depending on the book. Yeah, depending sure. on the book. You know, something like The Perks of Being a Wallflower, I probably wouldn't right. let my seven-year-old right. read. Right, But... There are some within like, that genre. Right, something like the Babysitter's Club series is technically considered young adult. Yeah. I read those when I was in the second grade. Right. So... And I was thinking specifically of Harry Potter, which I would classify yeah. as young adult, and I that was read to me when I was in second grade. And so. Harry Potter, I think, is a little bit of a special case because it does bridge children's and right. young adult. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the first couple books, are I would say, are more children's, and, and, then, and yeah. then they kind Fair of enough. grow up along with the yeah. protagonist. Yes. 
Anyway, we'll get there, yep. ladies and Sorry. gentlemen. <laughs> um, so we mentioned this. Um, a lot of times people do refer to young adult books as coming-of-age stories, uh, sometimes also as problem novels or issue novels. We'll get into why a little bit later. Okay. Uh, common themes in YA Lit include friendships, relationships, first love, identity, and more recently, diversity. Mm-hmm. We briefly talked about in our last prequel episode the genre of children's fiction uh, and the fact that it didn't really exist as a genre until around the turn of the century. Young adult fiction was even later to the party. Um, it didn't get its own proper category until quite a bit later. Modern classification of young adult literature started in the 1950s and the 1960s, especially after the publication of S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders, hmm. which I can't believe you've never read. No, nope. we, we've discussed is, this, but it's, 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 it's mind boggling. It's just I, the classes I was in, I had some weird, again, I was in a lot of uh, like the, and you were too, but like a lot too, of the yeah. like advanced English classes and in those, our teachers got to pick and they often yeah. didn't pick the standard like hmm. you're literally the only person i know who didn't have to read that in I'm, school anyway yeah. moving on <laughs> the outsiders was wildly popular so it really helped to kind of carve out a publishing niche specifically for young adults so something that separates young adult fiction from adult fiction that might happen to be about teenagers, like Stand By Me, right? It's mm. more adult, but it does happen to be about teenagers. Something that kind of creates a separation there is that YA lit lacks a nostalgic tone. It isn't about looking back or figuring out how the events of adolescence resulted in the current adulthood. Instead, teenagers' stories are allowed to simply exist on their own mm -hmm. without having to take on that nostalgic quality right. that something like Stand By Me definitely has. Yeah. Because it's, again, it's written for people going through that who wouldn't have a... Like, right. Young Adult is written for an audience that is currently in... Yeah, it, you're not, going through the, yeah. <laughs> the young adult phase. Thus, they wouldn't be nostalgic about it yet. Yeah, you're not being nostalgic about high school while you're in high yeah. school. <laughs> so continuing on with our young adult timeline, the 70s and the 80s are considered the golden age of young adult lit. It was doing really well as its own market. And that was when we started to see a lot more like mass produced formulaic young adult series like The Babysitter's Club, which I mentioned earlier, and uh, the Sweet Valley High books, stuff like that that just yeah. kind of got churned out and people ate it up. Um, but by the later 1980s, YA authors started to really push the envelope in terms of subject matter. Mm -hmm. They started writing about like hot button and taboo issues like sex, rape, suicide, drug use, mental health, etc., etc., this is where we get the moniker problem novel or issue right, novel, yeah, that, yeah. right? Because they're addressing these kind of problems or issues that teenagers might face. That also seems more in line with the same time period. And I could be wrong. I don't. I didn't. I haven't watched a lot of '60s and '70s sitcoms and television shows, but I, I know the '80s and early '90s are very famous for their uh, after-school special type of, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Uh, what's the word for the episode? Very special a very episode. special episode, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that is around the same time where they they TV shows also started 
addressing, you know, in, in, in episode here or there, things, those similar topics, mm-hmm. drugs and sex and, you know, that sort of stuff. Much like those TV shows, I would imagine um, these more serious books did have their critics. Um, but overall, this trend kind of resulted in YA literature maturing as a genre, kind of came into its own a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So these days, um, young adult literature is just as much of an umbrella term as adult literature, as I mentioned earlier. It's still written and marketed with teenagers in mind, but you can find just about any other genre you want in the young adult section of a library or a bookstore. You can find romance, fantasy, sci-fi, speculative fiction. Um, A lot of it is pretty literary, too. Mm -hmm. You can find pretty much anything you want. What do you mean by literary, just that word, when describing a genre? (laughs) <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, I've never okay. known. I don't know if I've ever heard it used just like alongside sci-fi, fantasy, speculative, and literary. All right. For simplicity's sake, I'm going to define literary fiction as the opposite of popular fiction. It's maybe a little more highbrow. It might have more complex themes, more complex stories. It might use um, be written at a higher reading level. It might use more advanced vocabulary. Okay. Interesting. I, I would have never thought of that as its own. I just to me it was interesting seeing that categorized alongside of something like sci-fi because could am I wrong in saying that a romance, fantasy, or a sci-fi novel could also be literary? It definitely literary? could. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like misunderstanding what that meant or had or, or was unaware and so that yeah that makes sense i got it so that is young adult the genre the novel genre there's obviously a a, a very um a similar refle- uh film has reflected the young adult genre in the sense that millions of young adult novels have been adapted Oh yeah. So I mean, and it is it has become gotten to the point currently where it has become a it's sort of worn out its welcome a bit among some audiences in terms of I I think the, the young adult there was such a boon of young adult books translated to film mm-hmm. for a while there right around the time of Hunger Games first one coming out and we had a bunch of them, and a lot of them you probably haven't even heard of but they're you know like the the fifth wave and like all these mm-hmm. had a ton of them and people I think it. They thought this is where the money was, and then it's sort of realized. Yeah, and, and there it, was it really a, needed to be a big tentpole series that people actually cared about yeah. to, to for that to work as well. And it wasn't was, just yeah, these it was, genre. Um, it was a boom of even more specifically like dystopian young adult. Yeah, that's fiction. true. There was a whole because yeah, because of the Hunger yeah. Games. So yeah, you got the Fifth Wave and uh, uh, the the whole the Insurgent series, mm-hmm. um, Maze Runner series. Mm-hmm. A handful of others that all around the same time blew up and then yeah people stopped going to see them so uh, but again those were just because they I think it was people bandwagoning on the idea that look a Hunger Games made so much money right and I think when a market gets oversaturated like that too people have a hard time telling the separate properties yeah. apart if you told me if you asked <laughs> me to differentiate if you showed me a trailer and cut all of the graphic any graphical element that would tell you what the movie was if Mm -hmm. you showed me a maze runner trailer and an insurgent trailer i guarantee you i would not be able to tell you which now hang on sorry i guess the maze runner one might have a maze maze in in it it, right but they looked i mean i remember stylistically and visually they looked so similar 
and yeah. like the characters all looked so similar that I, I just remember being like I mean they're all they were all trying to be the Hunger Games right. kind of like how after Twilight everything was trying to be Twilight what I want to do with this part of uh, learning things with this film is lit is that I want to play a bit of a game it has less to do with a young adult but it kind of does because it's um I thought it would be fun I was looking at teen movies and movies made directly specifically for teens Mm-hmm. And then I got into a thing where I was looking at the tropes that we see in teen, teen movies. Yeah, because teen movies just as big of a market as teen books. Yes, yes, and and they go back just as far, yeah. uh, and obviously all the way, you know, John, all of John Hughes's mm-hmm. ca- uh, mm-hmm. catalog, and it, all of all the way back uh, to at least the '60s, probably if not further. What I wanted to do is I want to play a game. I went through and I found a, a list of. This is from the TV or movie tropes website that exists. I can't remember oh, I what it's called. I love TV tropes. Yeah, TV tropes. Um, but they also do film, obviously. It's a quality website yeah. worth your time. So they had a whole list of tropes uh, that are not exclusive to teen movies, but are very prominent in teen movies. Mm-hmm. And what I want to do, I want to go through them because I just thought it would be fun to kind of see the things that pop up a lot in teen films. And I'm going to read you the title of the trope. Okay. And then I want to see if you can figure out what the trope is. So the way TV tropes works is they give you a there's a, there's the name of yeah, the trope. Yeah, they name their tropes. And so and then so I think you'll do okay, but I have like 10 of them. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to read you the title and then I want to see if you can parse out knowing that they're tropes from teen movies and with the title if you can figure out what the okay. trope is. I'm excited. I think this will be fun. I thought it would be a fun game. The first one some of them are going to be very easy, because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. some of them, the titles are kind of given away, but not all of them. Dawson's casting. Dawson's casting. Well, obviously, that Or Dawson do, casting, but no. Yeah. That has to do with um, Dawson's Creek, which I did not watch growing up. Okay. Um, Use your context clues here. Treat it like a ACT. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, these are teen movie tropes. Teen movie tropes. Um, is that where the teenagers are played by very clearly people in their 20s? Ding, ding, ding. Yes. <laughs> uh, Dawson's Casting is casting much older actors to play teens. It's named for Dawson's Creek, like you said. In Dawson's Creek, James Vanderbeek uh, was 20, mm-hmm. Katie Holmes was 18, and Joshua Jackson was 19, and they're all playing 15-year-olds. In the, mm. in the pilot, uh, mm-hmm. they age up throughout the show, but... So, yeah. Uh, also, Buffy, famously, yeah. like, uh, Xander is, like, 27 playing an 18-year-old or something like that. <laughs> Yay, labor laws. Yeah. yeah. So, that was the first one. That was that was one of the tougher ones. Uh, so like I said, some of these other titles get a lot easier. Okay. Like this one. All periods are PMS. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think that probably has to do with um, the way that female characters behave when they're on their period, or maybe not even. No, that's it. It goes a little bit further in that uh, one rarely ever see the uh, physical effects of being on your period, right? In teen movies and in teen, but the one thing you do see. Is because it's a it's a it's a running gag joke cliche trope is that every time any girl gets her period she PMSs and is a uh, moody and right so it, yeah exactly 
So it's yeah, it's sort of the trope of it is very uh, not a very um not only not a uh, a full portrayal mm-hmm. of the menstrual cycle or whatever, but also a sort of a misogynist one. Yes, very so. much so. All right, this one is great. It's one of my favorite ones. Carload of cool kids. Oh God. <laughs> um. I mean, I, I think it's exactly what it sounds like uh, when you're watching a movie and a carload of cool kids <laughs> <laughs> pulls up onto the screen. I mean, there are always in a car together, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Mean Girls comes yep. to mind specifically. Yep. So specifically, what I mean, you're, yeah, that is what it is. Like I said, the title is pretty much what it is. But more specifically, it's when a large group of people are in a car, especially a convertible, mm. And they drive by very often stopping to talk or heckle somebody. Mm-hmm. To, like, yell or make fun of somebody. And it's a bunch of cool, like, the jocks are yeah. all in the car with their girlfriends. And so that's, <laughs> that's Carload of Cool Kids. <laughs> that was my, one of my favorite ones. Um, this one, very obvious. Dating what daddy hates. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, when the girl dates the... Uh... The, reb- the rebellious guy or the, the guy she knows that her dad won't like or that her parents won't like. Yes, exactly. It is uh, female characters dating boys who kind of personify all the traits that their father hates. Yeah, the cool guy, he smokes, he drives a cool car, you know, and whatever. <laughs> I like this one. Elaborate University High. High is spelled H-I-G-H? But, uh, yeah, just all the words spelled normal. Elaborate University High. Okay. So, I have two ideas here. The more maybe realistic one, I think, is um, when high school is portrayed, but it feels and looks a little bit more like a college. That's exactly it. Okay. What was your other one? My other thought was... um, Whenever, like, characters are depicted as, like, having taken drugs, Uh-oh. and, like, it's really, like, super zany Oh, and like, creaky. way over the top. Yeah. yeah. That, that's probably its own trope called, like, probably. movie drunk or something like that, <laughs> um, which is, is a problem I always have, when, or I always think it's so silly, where it's, like, whenever they show somebody drunk, they're just, like, falling, like, yeah. it's like they're, like, about to die of alcohol <laughs> poisoning, but that's, like, you know... Yeah. Anyways, so, so yeah, elaborate University High is it's when the high school campus looks more uh, what you would expect of a very big, very expensive university, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where you know they have like a quad and like yeah. all these. Um, Ten things I hate about you. Yeah. comes to mind. It's filmed in a huge building. Yeah, yeah, and the building and a lot of times the grounds are very yeah. elaborate, yeah. and you know they have like them, and so, and sure, a lot of them probably are often set in nicer, maybe private schools or big high schools, but even still, it seems it's like that's what my college campus looked like not what my high school looked like all right three more i like this one because i this can be a problem often most writers are adults so (laughs) i mean does this is this as simple as it sounds does probably refer to the fact that it's adults writing teen characters and I, you know, and it's never going to truly be authentic, no matter what you do. Yes, uh, it's not that it's never truly going to be authentic necessarily, but that it, the, yes, it is the idea that people writing these stories and the dialogue are adults, mm-hmm. because, or at least almost always. I mean, occasionally, right. you know, you'll find something where that was written by somebody that age. But uh, so, uh, what the problem you see this or the the trope is when you're watching characters 
and the stories and dialogues and emotions and the way the characters are played in teen movies are often the stories, dialogue, and emotions of much older people mm-hmm. because it's adults that are writing those things. Right. Um, right. And I know we had we liked the show a lot. Um, Everything, Everything sucks. sucks. Yeah. But for the first, at least the first few episodes, we noticed a lot that the dialogue between the th- three main boy characters. Um, very much felt like a table of comedy writers yes. writing the jokes they wish their 10-11-year-old year, <laughs> selves had been smart enough to make. Like, I was like, nobody talks like that at that age. Yeah. And so, it's stuff like that. And that's, yeah, most writers are adults, so. It's tough to feel there. Alright, uh, two more. Uh, we'll do this one because it's real easy. Wild Teen Party. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that party. Yeah. Classic cars house party gets way too wild. Party crashers, fights, a rare keep family keepsake is destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the police show up. Something is on fire. Everybody is dancing. Mm-hmm. And there are drugs. Again, 10 Things I Hate yeah. About You comes to mind. <laughs> so one, my favorite one of that is the one where it's everybody's dancing. It's like, no, like, I don't know. I didn't go I've, to a lot of parties, but like some people sometimes would dance. Most people just hung out. Yeah, I didn't go to a ton of parties, but I went to my fair share of parties, I think. And I don't think I've ever been to a party where everyone was dancing. No, no, no. All right, last one. Uh, and I like this one. I like the title. Recruit teenagers with attitude. This one you probably won't get. It's kind of tough. Recruit teenagers with attitude. Yeah. I'll give you a hint and say one of our uh, more favorite TV shows. Well, actually, probably several of our more favorite TV shows uh, is guilty of this trope quite often. Or not quite often. It's sort of the premise of... <laughs> um, it's the word recruit that's throwing me off. Because that is the important with attitude. The recruit is the important part, though. Right. Um, so is this the the story where the the teenager or the character that's tasked with saving the world or whatever? No, no? I skipped that one. That that's called Kid Hero. Okay. And there's well, they have a couple that are very similar. What recruit teenagers with attitude is is when you're uh, in in a show or a movie where they're solving problems not by finding people qualified to solve the problems, mm-hmm. but by sort of recruiting the nearest group of teenagers. Ah. So like Buffy. Yes. And the Flash. Just although the Flash are qualified, I guess, and they're not teenagers; they're older. But yeah, it, I mean. To be fair, Buffy's qualified. Buffy is. Sorry, I meant Buffy the TV show. I mean, yeah, yeah, sorry, I meant the rest of the people in Buffy. Not Buffy or Giles. I meant Xander (laughs) and Willow and, you know, and eventually they become more qualified, but initially it's like... No, that's a fair (laughs) assessment, yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, And this is the teen version of uh, assembling a ragtag team of misfits, basically. Oh, okay. It's kind of like the teen Mm -hmm. trope of that, where it's just get the nearest teens with... With you know that have interesting characters and they're 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 going to help save the world because <laughs> they're there. So teens with attitude can accomplish anything. Yeah, yeah. All right. So that was all I had for that. That was a fun uh, tropes. That we could continue that. Maybe do that game again in the future with a different yeah, genre fun. or something. Because we should do that with like sci-fi and fantasy. Yeah, yeah. That would be fun. So we'll we'll do, we'll keep that in mind and do that in the future. Let's move along to our fun facts about the perks of being a wallflower. Dear friend, I haven't really talked to anyone outside of my family all summer, but tomorrow is my first day, and... 
I really want to turn things around this year. All right, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, published in 1999. Perks of Being a Wallflower is a coming-of-age novel by Stephen Shabosky. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. I found a little sound clip Is that how you say it? of him saying his, and it sounds like he's saying Shabosky. Because I have to say it in a minute. So. But the uh, the audio was not so great, so I hope I'm not mispronouncing. That's probably it. close enough. But it sounds like Shabosky. Um, it took him five years to write the novel. At the time, he was going through a bad breakup, and some of the themes of the novel sprung forth from that experience. From that experience. Some of what happens is also supposedly inspired by his own high school experiences. I think a lot of writers say that. Yeah. But uh, all I can do is take his word so, for yeah, it. I so. mean, yeah, well, yeah unless, you're like, unless you went to high school with him, yeah. I don't know how you would ever know. Uh, the book has been banned in some American schools. It addresses themes of sex, drug use, homosexuality, and mental health. And we all know how much Americans like those things in schools. Yep. And discussing them. So it does appear on the ALA's list of 10 most frequently challenged books. It made the top 10. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that about this. I mean, I knew that, like, sex and drugs, I knew that was a big thing in it, but... I I read it. I read it once before. I read it about five years ago, and I don't remember a ton about the plot, but I do remember it being fairly graphic. Hmm. Interesting. I didn't... I had no idea. So this is an epistolary novel. I knew that because I saw that. Talked about epistolary novels before. Um, It's framed around anonymous letters that Charlie, the protagonist, writes to um, an unnamed character. So I'm interested to see how the movie does or doesn't include that element. Yeah, because we've kind of run the gamut. Yeah, with we had like stuff like the Princess Diaries that kind of. Just abandoned it completely. It. They abandoned it completely. Um, and Love then Simon. Love Simon and The Martian yeah. both found ways to incorporate it. Yeah, Love Simon, you see him typing the emails yeah. and that sort of thing. And then in uh, The, and the Martian, Martian, he does video Yeah, they blogs. change it from diary entries to video yeah. blogs. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm interested to see whether or not that element of the story makes it into the film version. Because I've never seen the movie. Me neither. So the idea of those anonymous letters came from a real experience that the author had that I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, During his senior year of high school, Shabosky wrote an anonymous letter to Stuart Stern, the screenwriter of Rebel Without a Cause, about how the movie had influenced him. And a year and a half later, Stern found Shabosky and became his mentor. Oh. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, that's nifty. The book was a big success, uh, sold more than 100,000 copies in its first year of publication. It's a New York Times bestseller, and it appears on NPR's list of 100 best ever young adult novels. I think we got a good one here. Yeah, that's, it's funny, I, I, yeah, I, I, because it came out right in my young adult wheelhouse. I mean, I was, Yeah, I didn't read it in high school. Like, it would have gotten popular when I was 12, 12 or 13, Oh, maybe imagine. it was banned from my high school. <laughs> I went to high school in a small town. It would not surprise me in the least. Yeah, I don't imagine it would have been banned from mine, but I still, I, yeah, I, I don't remember ever hearing of it or, I don't yeah. know, I, for whatever reason, didn't. So what are you going to do when you get out of this place? I really want to be a writer, but I don't know what I'd write about. You could write about us. Call it Slut and the Falcon. Make us solve crimes. <laughs> All right. Well, the movie facts are uh, don't have a ton, but we have a few interesting ones. So it's a 2012 film. Took him a long time to yeah. get around to adapting it. 13 years. 
and it ultimately was written and directed by Stephen Shabowski. Yeah, I saw that when I was looking stuff up. I didn't Chabowski. know that he also directed yeah. it. That's pretty neat. Yeah, he wrote. Uh, so this is the first time we've had where they both wrote and directed. Yeah. an adaptation. We had we've had a several where they wrote the person wrote. Right. We had um uh, the Princess, Princess Bride, Bride and Gone Girl, where uh, the author the, did the screenplay. And uh, yeah, where I guess where they were solely credited as the screenplay because like Andy Weir wrote a lot of the Mark like mm-hmm. he was he was credited I believe as a writer on the screenplay but he had somebody else working with him it was mm-hmm. actually uh we won't get into it <laughs> <laughs> um so but originally the reason it, one of the reasons it took so long is that John Hughes read the novel and wanted to make it oh. uh, he got the rights from Chabowski to write the screenplay but he never finished it Mm-hmm. Uh, it, so so it's sad in like development hell. Kind of. I, it, it didn't really sound like so much development hell. It's just John Hughes was like really wanted to make it, and then it just he wanted it to be like his directorial comeback, kind of, because he mm-hmm. hadn't directed in a while, and then he ended up having a heart attack in 2009. Oh. Well, in 2009, I, so he may Chabowski may have had it back by then. I'm not sure. But so the version John Hughes when he was writing this, the people he wanted to play the three main leads, he, at least who he he said he had in his head. Nobody was ever cast or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But for Charlie, the main character, he wanted Shia LaBeouf. Oh. Uh, Sam was going to be played by Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. And now imagine he's probably adapting this in early 2000, like right, 2002, right. 2003 maybe. So it makes a little more sense in terms of... So pre-Transformers, Shia LaBeouf, right? Maybe pre... Maybe. I don't know what year Transformers the first one came out. Okay, yeah. But yeah, it could be. It's He might have been looking at him more from... Because uh, like iRobot, I think, was out at that point. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, even Stevens and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So like maybe more of that was what he was... Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what yeah, your Transformers came out. I think Charlie's kind of an awkward character. And, and Shia LaBeouf can 100% do awkward. I mean, yeah. even Sam Witwicky is kind of awkward. It's That's terrible true. that I know that character's name. <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, Kirsten Dunst is Sam. And now she yeah, obviously... In a 2012 version, she'd be like 30 something, right. so it wouldn't work at all. But uh, and then Patrick Fugit, 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 Fugit. I don't. I don't know how to I pronounce don't. it. Uh, as Patrick, uh, we you know him from Almost Famous. He's mm. like the main character in Almost I've Famous. I've never seen that. Okay, uh, you also know him as uh, in a movie we've done, Gone Girl. He is the partner of the main detective, the oh. guy who's the partner. Yeah. Huh. That's him. He's been in a handful. He's been in a fair amount of stuff. His big, his most famous role is almost famous. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was like one of his main lead roles. He has done a lot of like other like sort of character actory stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the producer eventually the producers of Juno became interested and decided they wanted Chabowski to adapt it himself. The people who produced Juno, mm-hmm. which include John Malkovich and a handful of other people, Chabowski liked about half of Hughes's screenplay that he had written for it and so he bought the screenplay from the heirs or the the state estate of john hughes and used like half of it or incorporated like half of it roughly according to the, the I what i like found they ought to give him a screenwriting credit the screen actor or not the screen actors guild the screenwriters guild and the directors guilds are all very stickler about hmm. it's very strange how all those rules work i don't know how all of them work but they're very weird about who gets credit for what, so. Interesting. And he, he may, I don't know, but yeah. I, I, yeah. All right, uh, Chabowski knew he wanted to cast Emma Watson once he saw her in Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince. Uh, there's the scene where Ron uh, breaks her heart and Harry consoles her. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know exactly which scene he's talking about, but Shabosky said she broke my heart in that scene. She's crying, and I just felt that she had all the vulnerability that Sam needed. Hmm. And I don't know what this means, because I haven't seen the movie or read the book, but Emma Watson has admitted she refuses to watch her kissing scenes or the Rocky Horror Picture Show scene. So... I don't know. I don't know what those are or what that means. I mean, but, I could hazard a guess. I mean, the kissing scene seems obvious, but like, I have no idea what the Rocky Horror picture. Well, have show you scene. ever? Have you ever been to a live showing of Rocky Horror? I remember that I've being an element. I've never been to one, but book, I'm aware of what. But I'm aware of what that means. So she's probably like in a costume dancing. Oh, okay, sure. I don't know. I, I, I remember that being in the book, but I don't remember specifically like what they did. I just didn't know because it just said the Rocky Horror Picture Show scene, and I don't know. I, I was like, what could that? I mean, that could mean a million things. Like they're yeah. watching it, like that, like <laughs> what you know? Yeah, they go to a live show. Sure, maybe that, or like maybe they did the musical in high school. I, I like it could be anything. Like I don't know. <laughs> that would be an awfully risque musical for a high school to do. Fair enough, but <laughs> that's all I got for the movie. So, all right. Before we wrap it up, Katie's got one more thing that she would like to talk about. I may chime in once, not to argue, but just to push back a little. But then I, I, I want to do it very early just to kind of see what you have to say about it. And then um, after that, I'll let you finish. Wrap it up. So the reason that I wanted to talk about young adult literature in this episode is because earlier today, a listener and a very close friend of mine, Lori, shout out to Lori, uh, posted an article on our Facebook page. And this article was a kind of clickbaity, hot take type of article. Um, basically, what it said was that adults who read young adult literature should be ashamed because they're reading books written for children. If you would like to read that article, uh, you should be able to find it on our Facebook page. It might be under the community it, tab. It will be, I think, Yeah, since it wasn't tab. posted by one of us admins. It's on Slate, too. Okay, if yeah. You, it's on Slate. If you just go to Slate and look up, uh, you sh- adults should be ashamed to read young adult or something like yeah. that, you'd probably find it pretty easy. And this article bothered me because I hate book snobs. So I wanted to do a little PSA here go for, it. for you guys. Guys, read whatever you want. You want to read young adult books? Do it. You want to read graphic novels and comics? Do it. You want to focus on the classics? Do it. You want to read the back of your damn shampoo bottle? Do it. Read. Read anything. Don't let anyone tell you that you can't or that you shouldn't, and don't walk around thinking that you're better than other people because of what you read. You are not. And you're being an asshat if you talk about it like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's a mistake to judge the merit of a book based solely on its genre, whether that genre is a publishing genre like young adult or um, a more specific genre like sci-fi or fantasy. Um, You are going to miss out on a lot of really great stories by doing that. You are robbing yourself of experiences. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to jump in and say before you get to this great last quote, because I I agree with everything you said. Um, The article, I didn't find it as uh, judgy as the title sounded, because the title, and and it is, like the title is a super clickbaity bullshit, like, you should be embarrassed to read young adult books, you adult. I'm like, no, like, obviously no. And I, I think you summed it up perfectly. Read whatever you want. 
Uh, and don't judge people for reading what they read. Like, that's stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. Don't do that. Um, but the point of the article, I thought, and again, I also think I agree with, and you didn't touch into this in here, but in the comments we were talking about, you were talking about how it does, it did seem like the author had a rather limited idea of what young adult yes. fiction is and, and the sort of themes and things it can do. But I think the ultimate point that she basically got to, you could just distill the whole thing down to like, it's a good idea to read a lot of different stuff to get a lot of different, not that it's not that you have to, mm-hmm. but that it is a potentially a good idea to read a lot of things from a lot of different backgrounds with a lot of, uh, with a wide ranging, a lot of wide ranging messages and, and from different genres, uh, because there's a lot to be had out there and it can potentially, and now see young adults, probably not even the right w- one to go to, to even try to make this point with because it, can cover so many different because mm-hmm. it's such a wide ranging genre within itself yes. that it seems silly to me to say her point ultimately was though that some of the, some adult fiction gets into more like adult problems or, and, and and or adult themes which I, I, maybe there's something to that and it's it might be a good idea to occasionally go read another different type of book I agree with you that it's a good idea to read a lot of different things. Yeah. Totally agree with that. If you always read young adult romance, for example, maybe branch out a little bit. Yeah. See what else is out there. You might find something that you really like. Again, you don't have to. You're not required to. This isn't school. Yeah. And you shouldn't be embarrassed ever for reading whatever you want to read. That's the dumb part of the Right. But it, it is a good idea to read a lot of different things. Yeah. I did find that article judgy. I'm not saying it wasn't judgy, because it and was. The line... I, sorry, go ahead. I, I see what you're saying, but to me, that element was maybe present, but it didn't seem like what that article distilled down to, to me. That's kind of... I don't know. See, I got a different thing out of it. Maybe it's because I, I just... I, I didn't feel personally attacked, but... <laughs> I don't know. So I was just like, yeah, I read a lot of different stuff. Sure. Like that's, but that, but it's also, it's the same thing where when you can distill something down to that message to me, that's like, well, that's not interesting. Like, of course, like, of course, reading lots of different stuff is generally a good idea. It like in terms of, uh, educating yourself and learn and finding new interesting ideas and th- like, sure. But that's not, you don't have to write a whole article about it. Like that doesn't mean anything like, like in yeah. the sense that it's in the sense that it's true, it's not novel. In the sense that it's novel, it's not true. Like it, it, the whole art, the article as a whole. In the sense that, it, that it's true, reading lots of different stuff is a good idea. Generally speaking, lots of different ideas and different stories can be a good idea. That's true, sure, but that's not a novel idea. Like that's well, not. No, it's not. So then, I I just I don't think that that was her point because. She wasn't telling us to read a lot of different things. She was specifically saying, don't read this specific thing. No, see, I don't think she was, though. I thought, I, to me, it came across as, you can read it, but also read some other stuff. But maybe that was just how I interpreted it. Like, I, to me, it seemed like, and again, I agree that you shouldn't say, because what she did say is, if you shouldn't only read this. And, again you can get into argument of whether or not somebody should do anything. Like, no, you probably should. Anybody can do whatever they want. If you only want to read young adult and literature, fucking go for it. I think her point was that if you if you branch out outside of that, there's a lot of other there's other stuff you can find that is interesting that isn't just young adult. At least that's how I read it. And now, sure, it is 
but again, to me, that's the thing where that's true to me, but that's not an interesting new, like, that's not a novel idea. Well, no. But then the thing that is novel about her thing is the idea that uh, you should be embarrassed to read young adult, not literature, and that's not true. So, like, the part of it that is interesting isn't true. The part of it that's true isn't interesting. So, like, what's the point? It was kind of what it well, that's down. why I defined it as clickbait. Yeah, well, it's 100% it. It was very clickbait. 100% it. I mean, but she's a freelance journalist yeah. on the internet. Like, <laughs> it's all clickbait. Regardless, you don't need to knock on something to get your message across. Like, like there was no reason for her to go after young adult literature if her ultimate point was to say you should read a lot of different things. There's no reason for that other than I need clicks. Right. It's Yes, because it makes a pithy headline that makes people go, what? And it happened. We all clicked on it. And then, uh, and then two, it very much felt like it was because it was a a genre that she was not incredibly well informed on. Or I yes. say genre. Like, to where she boiled it down to sort of a handful of, and, and again, you can only give so many examples in an article, but like the examples she gave of like three popular books from the last five years, it's like, yeah, she, sure, okay. And that was a big part of what irked me about the article was that she came off as incredibly uninformed about young adult, uh, young adult yeah. literature. And I just really think that if you're not at least moderately informed about something, you shouldn't blow smoke out of your ass about it. It's yeah. just how I feel about things. Yeah, or at least not doing it. In a, <laughs> no, at least not do it in a judgmental way, <laughs> anyway, or in a way where you tell people they should be embarrassed about it. We're getting farther and farther away from my PSA here. No, we are. That was I just I wanted to make that diversion in there because I, I I don't know I don't know if everybody read that article the same way you did, but I can see well, I, I I agree. So, but I, I like I, I agree with everything you said in here. So, anyway, don't be a book snob. Don't be an anything snob. Really. Yeah, that that is a hundred percent true. Don't rob yourself of experiences. Don't try to rob other people of experiences. If you like young adult literature and you yourself are an adult, you don't need to feel ashamed about that. No, that's a that's a that is a huge PSA I can get behind. I have such a the the and this is a whole another topic for a whole another day, and it's a little ironic because I do make fun of things on the internet for a side living <laughs> but i well, you do I, it lovingly though. i try to we try I tr- at least i try to do it lovingly and in a way that adds more joy to the world i have a i have a big problem with a lot of where online criticism and especially uh like similar to stuff we do where it's uh m- making fun of or talking about stuff there's a lot of times it feels like there's a lot of cynicism in that and that mm-hmm. is really gross to me especially when it feels like it's trying to rob joy from other people like i don't like that and i and i I, I, I try not to put that out into the world, but that's a big problem I have. So yeah, don't, like the, the yeah. idea of not you like whatever you like, and and and, yeah. and 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 you can argue with other people about whether or not you think that thing's good, and and that's fine. But like, I don't know. I have a big problem with the cynicism of trying, and and especially when it's like the, the cynicism that that creeps in and and tries to somehow, for some reason, makes people feel like they need to pull the joy out of a thing for somebody else. Don't rob yourself of joy. Yeah. Don't try to rob other people of joy. Read whatever you want. Read young adult literature. Or don't. Yeah. Or do. It doesn't really matter. No. But I'm going to close this out here. I'm going to close out this PSA with one of my favorite quotes ever um, from C.S. Lewis, who is the author of The Chronicles of Narnia. Critics who treat adult as a term of approval instead of as a merely descriptive term cannot be adult themselves. To be concerned about being grown up, to admire the grown up because it is grown up, 
to blush at the suspicion of being childish. These things are the marks of childhood and adolescence. And in childhood and adolescence, they are, in moderation, healthy symptoms. Young things ought to want to grow. But to carry on into middle life, or even into early manhood, this concern about being an adult is a mark of really arrested development. When I was ten, I read fairy tales in secret and would have been ashamed if I had been found doing so. Now that I am fifty, I read them openly. When I become a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up.